Um, just real quick, I want to let everybody know we are also being joined uh, this morning by our very special guest. Um, I know we didn't talk about this at the start of the show, but they hadn't arrived yet. Um, my cat Kira has jumped into my lap, fallen asleep, and is now farting. So oh, that's what I spell. Just making her presence known. Um, so I, I had to share that with everybody because if I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer. Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast UX Podcast. This is episode number 82, where we're going to be talking about coping with code and design burnout and strategies, things for dealing with that and addressing it and, and hopefully making you feel a little bit better. I am your host, Michael Beenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? Uh, I am awake and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, this is um, <laughs> a departure for us. Uh, I had to do some time juggling, so we're recording first thing in the morning for a change, which is little bit different for well first thing in the morning for me um, a little later for you uh if you are enjoying the drunken ux podcast be sure to run by our kind sponsors from the live at manning conference series if you go to drunkenux.com slash graph data you can get a free ticket to their upcoming uh online web conference on graph data science that conference is going to be well if you're listening to this on release day tomorrow february 16th it runs from noon to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's over on Twitch. Get a free ticket. Just go to drunkenux.com slash graphdata. With that, it is morning. Um, I'm keeping my stuff simple because I literally just ate a bowl of cereal. So I'm drinking <laughs> uh, coffee with no Irish in it. <laughs> it is just coffee. That's, uh, that is the theme for my morning. So I had a discussion yesterday on Twitter asking about what I need. I incidentally finished off two of my scotch bottles this past week. They just had very little left and I finished them. Um, so I bought another bottle and I got recommendations from Joel we've had on the show before and uh, Mark Enbinder, a fellow Ithacan. And um, they, uh, and Mark suggested uh, the Shackleton. So I picked the bottle of that up and I literally opening it for the first time today. I'm just going to have like a small drink the story of the Shackleton is interesting, though, right? Like, yeah, I I don't know a lot about it. I know it was something about the uh, antique blend of McKinley's rare old Highland malt whiskey su- supplied to the British Antarctic expedition. Right, like right on one of those ice shelves, you know, the, where people come in and out of Antarctica a lot. There's a cabin. Okay. And the guy, the 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 expedition stayed there for a little while and then left, but obviously you know, uh, travel in this time was difficult. And so they Mm -hmm. left everything. And because Antarctica is so cold and where they left it all is temperate from the standpoint, like there's no blizzards or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just cold. So the whole thing is preserved. You can actually, if you go to Google maps, you can do this right now. Yeah. You can uh, do a street view of it and like go into the house and look around in the house. So this scotch they when they were doing an audit of the area or whatever, um, they found a crate of 
scotch that was brought down with them. And so they took one of the bottles, did their sciency stuff to it, um, and, and brought in uh, some scotch people to nose it and do all this. And so the bottle you're drinking is basically a reproduction of what they think that scotch tasted like when it was made back in, you know, the late 19th century. So that's the story. Huh. That's cool. And it's pretty good. I'm disappointed there's no penguins on the label. <laughs> but I, I will say it, it smells really good. It smells um, almost fruity, like a fruity. I'm looking for the Shackleton thing on Google Maps. I can't find it. Well, while you look for that, let me tell everybody what we are talking about this week. <laughs> so uh, for my birthday, I told Aaron I only wanted one thing, and that was to not come up with the next show idea. And so he said, well, how about we talk <laughs> about burnout? And I went, huh, okay. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is a great idea because, boy, am I burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so this is what we are talking about this week. and I'm. We're we're talking I, I, a lot of what I'm going to be saying um, and stuff will have like some specific relevance to web design and web development, um, but a lot of it also is going to deal with just feeling burnt out at work, regardless of where you are. So if you work with anybody in other fields who, you know, are are suffering from this, are are having a tough time after the last year, um, or not, like that's going to be the thing. Some of what we'll talk about certainly is made worse by the stuff, the changes that have happened through COVID, but people were getting burnt out at jobs well before that. Um, so be sure to share this episode. If, if uh, you think it's helpful, leave a like comment review wherever I don't ask for that a whole lot, but I will this time because I do think that what we're going to share is going to be useful and valuable to a lot of, uh, a lot of folks outside of, of our industry. Um, I'm going to start with a definition because um, we were talking just before the show started about like what burnout is. Burnout is not a medical diagnosis. It's not defined in um, what is it, Aaron? The DL DSM DSM. Um, it's not like it. It shares qualities with anxiety disorders, with depression, um, with things that are you know acknowledged. There's an article over the Mayo Clinic. They they say job burnout is a special type of work-related stress, a state of physical or emotional exhaustion that also involves a sense of reduced accomplishment and loss of personal identity. Burnout to me feels like when you're overcompromised on what you're able to give out. You know, like we have, um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, there's like there's giving energy out, putting you know putting effort and labor into things. Emotional and then economy. there's like, yeah, yeah. I, I think you use the word carrying capacity. Yeah, pre-show. Um, I, I think that burnout is when we have had to kind of run right. We had to redline that carrying capacity for too long. Right. Um. Yeah. So uh, the, uh, a couple caveats before we get too far into this one. Um, I want to be very clear. I am a 39-year-old white male with a good job and a good career, and I'm bound to frame something in a way that is maybe not reflective of other people's experiences, especially with regard to work, stress, burnout, anxiety, all of these things. Um, understand, I don't mean that in a minimizing way. Um, it's just that 
my frame of reference is is framed in a way that comes from a place that yes i have access to things and have had experiences that are not nearly as bad as other other people um and so i i just don't want people to feel like i'm putting down your experience or not acknowledging your experience it's just that in the course of this conversation i'm liable to say something in simplistic terms um so i just mm-hmm. i want to say that straight out but understand that it's okay for anybody to feel burnt out at any given time and it's not because you messed anything up it's not because you're not strong enough to deal with anything it's just because uh, like aaron said right we have this caring capacity we have this emotional economy we can deal in and sometimes we're just not taking stuff off the pile as quickly as we are putting stuff on and everybody's limit is whatever their limit is you know it's sometimes we just get stretched a little thin yeah just incidentally and 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 you and, can okay, come back getting, from it right it's, yeah get, well see get, getting stretched thin isn't the burnout point the burnout point is when you're already stretched thin and then more is demanded of you yeah that that's that's i think the breaking point and you can always rewind that it, it it's not mm-hmm. like there's nothing broken when you get there it's more like i would i would say it's more of a warning sign right burnout is the thing mm-hmm. that part of the reason i think burnout is not in the dsm is because burnout leads to the things that are right that's what causes mm. depression that's what causes anxiety disorders our lives are not lived in vacuums, and so things that happen in your, in your personal life can and will affect your work life. You know, everybody says, don't bring your personal life to work. That's not possible. It, it really isn't. You, yeah. you can't not do it. Now, you can choose to you know, bring certain things in. You know, Drama is the one that I always kind of come back to. Like, I'm not a drama dude. I yeah. don't handle. I don't want your yeah. drama in my life. And drama is a choice. You know, things that are happening in that sphere – that's just you bringing some stuff along, but things like stress, things like anxiety, stuff that's happening outside that is having those that is dealing in your emotional economy. You mm-hmm. can't not bring that along because your economy is yours. Like that is that is a thing that, you know, changes your value throughout the day. Um, I don't I don't think it's healthy for an employer or, or any kind of place or organization or anything to expect that if you are facing a very real and understandable situation like the death of a close family member or or similar that it's not going to affect you and and I don't think it's fair or healthy for anyone to say okay you need to just cram that down in there yeah. and compartmentalize um and you're not allowed to feel those feelings when you're here at work because this is we own you for this time that's really dysfunctional so there's over at uh, ivyexec.com, they they quoted some research. Research by Comparably shows that 51% of people in design jobs say they feel burned out. When I've worked with professionals in this industry, they tell me it's sometimes due to unrealistic expectations, changing priorities, and not receiving clear feedback. 51%. I mean, I don't, I don't know what a reasonable amount of burnout is to expect in an industry. (laughs) But I do feel like 51% is too high. That is, (laughs) and it's, you know, a consequence, right, of everything work does to us in terms of wanting to get more. What's, we've all seen this graph, right? This, this graph of like, um, wage variability since the eighties, how it's like flat. 
but output oh, yeah. from employees yeah. is like a steady trending line up. Like you, right. you can only milk the blood <laughs> from that stone for so long. Right. The older I get, the more I'm like, my time is very important to me. <laughs> there, there are post after post after post, uh, an article and research and all this stuff that always will tell you time is your most valuable commodity and you need to value it as such. And there's always this thing about, and, and I've ran into this. I used to freelance um, or not freelance. I used to moonlight. That's really the way to put it. I was working a normal job nine to five. And then I moonlighted in the evenings to make more money. Um, and that meant doing more work. And over time, I wanted to do that less and less. So what did I do? I started raising prices. And at first, mm -hmm. I raised my prices, but I didn't lose any work. And so yeah. I realized I was undervaluing my time. It just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? No, I, I now value my time more yeah. and when i got the job i'm at currently that was really where that cutoff happened where it's like mm -hmm. i'm not going to keep raising my prices now i'm just going to stop moonlighting because my evenings my time outside of work is more valuable to me than any number i'm going to put on that right so if we start talking about like the stuff that is let's say very heavy the things that are maybe out of your control that can affect your stress levels and things so let's Let's take, you know, death of a loved one. That happens. You can't stop it. It is a force of nature that will affect your stress level, and it will affect it in a way that is much larger than other things in your life. And it also, as a consequence, I think, increases the volatility of the small thing. Mm. You know, sure. the, the other things that maybe are in your control or otherwise wouldn't even register to you the closer you get to that red line because of all of the base levels to the, the bedrock stress sort of that you're carrying those little things, you know, there's, it's, it's almost like there's a noisy factor, right? Like as you get closer mm -hmm. to the red line, you also pick up noise. You also pick up just this volatility to it. Um, and you get angry or you, you know, you get frustrated, you know, you walk away from your code. You know, we, there's always this sort of joke, right? Like I worked three hours trying to find a bug and all I really needed to do was go to sleep and look at it in the morning, and I immediately found the thing. <laughs> it's funny. It's anecdotal. It's true. It's true. It's though. so true. It's also a sign of stress. Yeah. Like that. That in and of itself. And when you're not, when your bedrock stress is low and you're not near that red line, that's not a big deal. It is funny. Mm. It is something that's just like, ha ha! I should have seen this originally. I can't believe I missed it. But if you are much closer to that red line, it can be a much bigger deal. And when you walk away from it, you know, you know, that old phrase, like, I think it comes, it refers to like married couples, right? Never, never go to sleep angry, mm, you know, mm -hmm. always try to, you know, resolve your stuff or talk about it regardless, like just get it out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The, this works on, I think on a very similar modality. If you are pissed off at your work, your code, you can't find what you're, why it's breaking or whatever, and you just yeah. get up and walk away from it. If you are still angry about that in an hour, mm -hmm. that's a sign that you are stressed beyond what maybe you think you are. And that's okay. It's like those look for those kinds of signs. If you're not having fun an hour later, doing something else, playing around with something, then realize that, yeah, these things are starting to add up for you. 
I want to clarify that I don't think that the red line itself is burnout. The red line is when you're burning. Yeah. It's, it's when you are like, like, you know, that phrase like burning the midnight oil. It's like, you're already exhausted and tired, but you're pushing through anyways. That's, that's what you're, that's what you're burning there. You can run already, in the red line, you know, you can, yeah. you can push it doesn't 7,000 RPM for a while the, and the motor will yeah. be fine. It's right. if you keep doing it and go beyond it. Right. If you do it for a sustained period of time, like what you're burning is, you know, whatever your, your uh, intangible existence. And at some point you run out of that. You, you no longer have anything that you can burn to push yourself at that level. That's burnout is when you run out of and it. And if we don't talk about that and identify and sort of talk about coping mechanisms for it, the one real risk that I think comes with that, and I know we're, we're talking this about this in terms that feel very tangible but really aren't. So the way I'm going to say this sounds very finite and it, it simply just isn't that way. But the risk that you run is if you do push beyond that red line for too long and too hard, you will recover. You, you know, you will bounce back. You know, you will take time off. You'll do some of the things that we're going to talk about for coping. But the risk that it brings is that your new red line may now be lower. It's kind of like heat stroke, <laughs> right? Like, you know how point. they say like when you get heat stroke, it becomes easier for you to get heat stroke in the future. I look at I never knew that, but it makes sense. I, I look at burnout very much that way. And it doesn't mean it definitely will. Like that's every again, everybody's experience with this will be unique and, mm-hmm. and individual. But I I I would say anecdotally, I have no I'm there's no research I can quote you. There's nothing like that that I can share with you. But I do think that, that risk exists that if you burn out too hard once the next time comes quicker and eat more easily. And that's the real risk you run. And, and even if that risk is low, I think it's worth trying to avoid. Um, Mm -hmm. I can confirm this personally, as, as I've talked about many times over the past few years on this show, uh, I was the project lead for diaper base at Ruby for good. And I have burnout there, like legit burnout. I, I, f- I really believed that if I hadn't kept pushing that the project would die or at least not reach the success that it needed to reach. And it always felt like we were so close to getting to a point where I could finally take a break. And I, so I just kept pushing. Um, but in the end though, like I, I, I legitimately burned out on it. There's you, you sort of unintentionally even segued perfectly into the next point. One of the reasons why <laughs> burnout is such a problem for developers, especially uh, Nemel Dalal has an article over on uh, at the Hacker Noon Medium page. He talks about several things with uh, 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 with burnout. One or two of them, rather. One of them is that uh, programming is isolating. He says a developer's day is spent in deep concentration in front of a computer screen. Teams can be remote or simply small further reduces human interaction that isolation Mm -hmm. leads to burnout the other thing is what you just said basically he says the bus factor is low well what is the bus (laughs) factor (laughs) that's like my my favorite macabre metaphor in in our in our world (laughs) we we say at work win the lottery we've tried to stay away from it but the bus factor is this idea of 
if you put, you know, if you've only got an, you know, one or two experts on a topic and you put them on a bus and the bus, you know, goes off a, a, a cliff it crashes. And, yeah. It crashes yeah. and they, they die. What happens? And so, and the way, uh, uh, Nemo says it, meaning a small group of developers are the only ones available to maintain or build certain components. This dependence makes it harder for them to take time off. Prager duty responsibilities and customer complaints disrupt sleep schedules and lead to an always on mentality. If you're the only person in an environment capable of dealing with something that increases the burden, it's, it's just like, you know, you imagine the guy that lays on the bed of nails, right? Why can he lay on a bed of nails? Because there are 10,000 nails in that board. If that board had mm-hmm. four nails in it, he is now Be very punctured. <laughs> the the yeah. outcome is much worse. And that's what this is talking about. <laughs> if you have, you know, if everybody, if you're on a team of 10 people and those people are all well-skilled and versed on the things you're building, and one of you can come and go on any daily basis without any disruption, that means the bus factor is high. Um, Ria Mutafis has another explanation that I really liked. And, and then Ria says, Maybe you're not seeing the meaning in your project because you can't learn anything new from it. Programmers belong to the most curious creatures on this planet. If you can't learn from it, you don't like it. So I really liked this quote because I think it is largely true, not always true. You know, I think it is there's a characterization there that I think is maybe more broad than it needs to be. But we do know that to be successful as a developer, even as a designer, you have to constantly be doing, you, you know, we're always learning new tools. We're always learning new idioms in languages. If I don't work that word into every single show now, I feel like a failure. Um, but there's, there's this need to always be learning new stuff. And part of the reason we pick up outside projects and, or do something ourselves outside of work hours is for that reason, Right. It's one of those things we have stressed. We, we say, if you want to learn something, go out and start a project on it. Build it for yourself. And it's good advice as long as it's not taxing you in that way. But I do think programmers are probably more prone to this. And again, this is anecdotal on my part, but I think programmers are more prone to it than people in other industries. Now, hmm. maybe the one exception might be medical. I can absolutely see... Hmm. Doctors having to constantly be keeping up on new techniques and surgeries and conditions yeah. and treatments. Te- teachers too. Um, teachers and too. Teachers. Well, teachers are a whole yeah. other breed. Like when when we say burnout is not unique to our field, yeah, <laughs> the medical field, teachers, um, police officers, military, like mm-hmm. the this problem is universal for a lot of different reasons, um, but. Programmers have this hunger, right? Like mm-hmm. we like doing what we do because it's challenging and because those skills, like it's almost a skill set that demands to be challenged. You don't want to write the same code over and over and over every day. And you won't. You'll write a module and just include it. And then what? I I left a previous job. Actually, I've left I left one previous job because my work was stagnating and I wasn't having opportunities to work on new technologies or learn new things. Um, I didn't, 
I wasn't burnt out. I was just ready to move on. If I had to stay in that job longer, maybe I would have hit burnout. I don't know if other people have this experience, but like, I feel like, I feel deep pain. Like, like it, it feels, it hurts to work with technology that I don't like. Yeah. So let's get in though to work-life balance. Let's talk about that first because part of, you know, one, there, there are things you can do in your life, in your outside time that can help reduce that stress carrying capacity that can give you some space between where you are and where the red line is. And that will help you all the way around. There's um, an article over from Colin Netterkorn. Netterkorn? Corn? There's two O's in that. Mm -hmm. Colin Netterkorn. He's the CEO of Customer.io. And uh, he says some things that he thinks are must-haves. Exercising two to three times a week. Eating well. Getting eight hours of sleep at least four nights a week. And unplugging totally for at least a week a year. The fuck, man? I like all of these. I, I'm doing none of them. Right? <laughs> um, I'm not doing most of those well. And this is where, like, I, I realize I have sort of, even before you brought up the topic of this episode, a lot of this stuff was were things that I was starting to lock into. I haven't, exercising two or three times a week, hard, because I can't go to the gym right now. Mm -hmm. Or I could, but it, you know, carries a risk that I'm not willing to take, let's say. But... I have started over the last probably two weeks, two, three weeks. Um, I am exercising every night. Um, free weights, stretches, like I'm not going crazy. Um, I have my bike out in the rec room. I need to kind of set it up on the trainer. And when it's not negative 15 degrees outside, a <laughs> walk, you know, I'll go for a walk at five o'clock after work. It's funny to me that I'm like, man, I've been real. I, my, my, brain my body has been pushing me to do these things um eating well i don't eat good i don't or eating i don't eat well i don't know about you i eat like trash uh, quite frankly yeah i go through spurts where i cook regularly um i have so to kind of catch people up my work-life balance sucks <laughs> it has sucked for a long time i have frequently been known at work as the guy who doesn't take time off and who is available for help questions and work at any point from 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. for the most part, um, which is tough when we have international offices that, you know, their noon is my evening, you know, and, and times like that. So I had a very unhealthy work-life balance between the isolation of COVID, which we've talked about, I think, in past episodes that, you know, mm -hmm. I am sort of an introvert, but I, I get out. I would like to go out to the bar once a week. I haven't been doing that. I haven't had that exposure. This, you know, we talked earlier about isolation, the isolating factor mm -hmm. that happens when you work from home a lot. Um, I do sleep. Um, my sleep was trash. And I really have committed yeah. to this I don't necessarily get eight hours, but I'm getting at least seven and a half consistently. I've been getting better mostly about my sleep. Um, I, I do want to say that like these four things are uh, the CEO of customer IOs things that work for him. Yeah, yes. 
um, they do sound they do sound like good things, but man, like it it is a privilege to be able to do these things. Yeah. <laughs> like if you if you have the time and the energy to exercise two two to three times a week, and the ability to do it, that's awesome. And eating well, you know, if you have grocery stores nearby that sell fruits and veggies, you have the knowledge to know how to prepare them. Um, if you're a parent totally understand if that's harder for you like yeah that's that's the thing i don't have kids so i'm not waking up especially young kids like i do get like <laughs> that's a thing but that's a different kind of trade-off also in my book like that's a well that's a biological trade-off even if they're not waking you up at night they're still like you know when you're awake and having to parent you're that usually means you're not able to do the things that you want or yeah. need to do for yourself and so that, this is one of those trade-offs that i mentioned at the start of the show that it's like I get that there are like that's an extenuating circumstance. I think that sure it employs you know other other things, other other things in your life that again I understand. I don't have that effect yeah. in my life, so I will throw right. that out as one of those. Um, the unplugging totally for at least a week a year. Now I didn't get a week. Oh, I wish, <laughs> um, but I did take off from Christmas Day through New Year's this year. Um. I was not as unplugged as I would have liked to have been, though I did do a pretty good job of not doing work. Um, I will say that. Like, that was kind of where I was. I can't think of the last time I've unplugged for longer than a day. The the eating thing, though, I want to talk about this. And this is where, this is some of my advice. Don't eat at your desk. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who that is literally the thing I do right now that I am committing myself to not doing. I eat breakfast yeah. and lunch both at my desk every day. And mentally it's it's so hard to disconnect. Even if you're not looking at work. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Even if it's sitting even if you're sitting at a different desk at a different screen like take the time if you can Take your lunch, go literally anywhere else that isn't in front of a glowing rectangle or at least not in front of a like work say, rectangle. Like, I will sit here. I'm not working while I'm eating, usually. Mm -hmm. I'll throw YouTube on or something like that. The problem is yeah. it doesn't give your brain a chance to sort of disconnect from work. Right. Because it still looks yeah. the same. The context and is still there. And yeah. that's a half hour to an hour that you can take to put your brain into a different gear. And a lot of folks will also say, like, and, and this just depends on if you have the time. If you have an hour lunch, and like right now, especially if you're working from home, um, this is much easier to do. Um, but even if you know you uh, have access to a gym or something else, you, you know, your situation will dictate this. Spend you know 15 minutes eating and 30 minutes exercising. You know, take that exercise two or three times a week, mm -hmm. fit it in over your lunch hour, and. It's a great energy change as well at that point. It helps get through the rest of the afternoon. It's, again, much easier if you are working from home, obviously. But um, if you can, that's a great combination. But get away from your desk. Get a hobby. Get a hobby that is specifically not using your computer. Because, again, I know <laughs> coders, designers, we love to we love to do that thing frequently. And we won't necessarily do it for work, yeah. but we'll do it on other projects. And that's fine if, if your carrying capacity allows for it. But it is so, so, so important to have hobbies that don't involve your computer. I have a mm -hmm. huge problem with this because I work from home. 
my computer, my work machine is my machine. I love the video game Seven Days to Die. I have put in hundreds of hours in that game. The mm. last couple years, I haven't put in hardly any because playing a video game means I have to sit just like eating. I have to sit in the space mm -hmm. I work at the machine I work at and it's it, it fucks up my connection at that point. It makes the game less enjoyable. I know that we've talked about remote work on previous episodes, but like that's a big thing that I don't think I don't think you really realize how much it affects you. Um I I have my main desktop where I'm recording here. I don't usually work down here. Sometimes I do. But I usually work like in my dining room or something on my laptop. And if I don't tear down my standing desk, um, it's like a folding standing desk. Um, if I don't tear it down at the end of the day, it's really easy to kind of like not have a good end yeah. to my day. Like my, my brain doesn't get out of the right context. Not having that context switch of changing buildings really messes with your sense yeah. of of work life boundaries. We, and you know, of course we've talked to remote work and stuff on the show before. And that is one of those things. And this is one reason why some people aren't good at remote work. They really need that shift. You're talking about, you know, shifting your brain into a different gear and why it's important to not eat at your desk at lunch. And that, that holds true if you don't work from home, because there are a lot mm -hmm. of people who go to an office every day to work and still eat at their desk. Get away from your desk, go eat in your fucking break room. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have to disconnect from, from those things. Um, and the other thing, uh, that I have picked up heavily, um, recently is I'm trying to read for fun again. Yeah, me too. And me too. this, this is where we get into like this, this problem, right. That we have in this industry. I considered it a point of pride that I didn't read for fun anymore. When I read, I was reading articles on the latest CSS techniques. I was picking up books on, you know, let me look over at my shelf actually right now. You know, I've got Don't Make Me Think over there, Content Strategy for the Web, Cognitive Surplus, yeah. uh, The Elements of Content Strategy, The Smashing Book, like DIYU, The Long Tail. Like, these are the things I'm reading. Yeah, Industry nonfiction. <laughs> and I always thought, I, I don't have time for fun. I read for work. I am making myself better. And I'm not. That's not making yeah. me better. That was that was robbing Peter to pay Paul. So we we said uh, unplug for at least a, a week, a year. The way you do that is use your PTO. <laughs> I, okay, look. So if you have PTO, if you're fortunate enough to have a job that gives you paid time off, um. There is there's no nothing to be proud about in not using your vacation time ever. Um, take your vacation time. You know, it doesn't have to be like a month or whatever. Take long weekends here or there. Do a week. Yeah. Take, take, you know, if you have kids, take your kids somewhere fun. You have the vacation time. It's part of your compensation package. Use it. Yeah. If you have sick time and you feel sick, use your sick time. Don't try to push through when you're not feeling up to it. You're going to make shitty, like you're not going to do as good of work and you're not doing yourself any favors either. So, and I know that the, you know, the bus problem factors in here, right? This feeling like uh, if the bus factor is low, then I can't take a day off because then the work's not going to get done. And I, I know that feeling 
mm -hmm. better than a lot of people probably and, and better than I want to. And I have committed mice, like I said, I said earlier, I took my week off. That was the first genuine vacation I had taken in five years, six years probably. Mm -hmm. Like I have taken a day off here and there. Usually it's for something though. Um, it's, and it certainly was never a vacation. Like it was not intentionally, I am planning to take this time off so that I don't have to work and I just do fun stuff. Um, you have to, you have to get away from that mentality because those companies existed before you and they will continue to exist after you. And yeah, maybe work doesn't get done when you're not there. That's okay. The company is not going to close because you're not there. <laughs> If the company closes because you're not there for one day, then that's not your fault. That's the company's yeah, fault for that bad is planning. That is not your – and that yeah. is some – you know what? That is a really important thing to emphasize. If you are feeling stressed, if you feel like you can't take time off because you know of whatever reason, that's not your fault. That is your work's fault for putting that on you. And I know there are a lot of places that will shame people for taking time off or will discourage you mm -hmm. from taking time off. We're going to get to them here in just yeah. a second. But again, that's not your problem. And if they try to make you feel that way, the the best way I can encourage you to put it is just to say it flat out that that is a part of your compensation <laughs> and you are allowed to use it. And if it is that much of a burden for you to not be there, that is their sign that they need to hire somebody else. And I would say it straight to them. Now, I know that's hard, but if there is work that needs to be done and if you take a day off, all of that grinds to a halt, then they need they need to hire more developers. Yeah. If you're if you're in fight. a situation like that, just talk with your talk with your supervisor, talk with your, you know, the rest of your team and say like, "Look, I need to take some time off. When can I do it that would be the least impactful?" Like you don't yeah. have to be a jerk about it. Like I'm not yeah. saying like like, "Oh, I'm going to take a day off today. Screw you all." Yeah. I make it sound like you have to be super confrontational about it. You yeah. absolutely don't. That's just me. <laughs> just, just work it out with your team. I mean, if you tell them your needs and like, if nothing else, you not taking time off and risking burnout and risking like exhaustion is not going to be the good for the company overall anyways. Right. So you, they may, may, they may lose a day of labor by you taking a day off or a few days for taking a few days off. But how much, they, how much productivity they're losing over the long run from their perspective if you are slowly, like, exhausting yourself out by not taking yeah. any breaks? It, you know, it makes me think of, like, the video game industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how many stories have we heard, especially over the last couple of years, about um, video game production environments that are demanding, you know, oh, 12 yeah, fuck and 13-hour days out of people, <laughs> seven days a week and all of this, and just absolutely grinding <laughs> game designers into the ground and spitting them out and not giving two shits about what those consequences are. What yeah. I will tell you is, and I'm going to say this with a preface immediately, because mm -hmm. I do understand that it is not as easy as what I'm about to say, and that... Wait, before you say that, hold on. Okay. Um... A few seconds ago, I said um, I, the things I was saying about productivity and whatnot. Um, that I, I feel ugly saying that um, the productivity of your workplace is not and should never be more important than your own personal, mental, and physical health. Um, we 
whole separate discussion here about like how we've like internalized capitalism. And I don't want to get into that, but I will say that like the productivity of the workplace is never more important than your mental and physical health. Right. Those are always more important. So, okay, continue. And, but, and, but even in service of that, if you find yourself in an environment that is not healthy for you and you are being led by people who do not take your safety, your health, your consideration seriously, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, I can give you a number that will maybe give you some comfort. They say that employment of web developers and digital designers is projected to grow 8% from 2019 to 2029, much faster than the average for all occupations. Demand will be driven by the continued popularity of mobile devices and e-commerce. I guess I didn't need that last part. That wasn't that important. <laughs> um, the reason I quote this statistic is to emphasize the fact that there are jobs out there and there are people out there who are looking for you and many of them will be much more considerate than where you are now if where you are now is a problem. Now, I understand I say that knowing very hard to just drop what you're doing and go get another job, you know, and certainly I would never advocate for just walking out the door, burning the bridges and hoping there's something waiting for you. That's not a strategic way to go about it. Right. I'm only saying it to emphasize this idea that much like, you know, nursing and some of these other fields, we work in an industry where there is, where demand is outstripping supply in terms of mm. good skilled workers. And so you have power in that negotiation, so to speak, to, to say, you know what? I don't need to put up with this and if I'm going to go figure something else out. If you're starting to feel a way about your work and you're feeling like you're not able to change it, don't wait until you're at your breaking point to leave and look for new work. Start looking earlier, float your resume out there, find some people who are hiring, talk to some people, find some excuses to do interviews. Yeah. The, like if you're going to negotiate a salary or like negotiate a um, a position with a new company, the absolute best time to do it is when you already have stable employment because you can just walk away from the table if it's not favorable for you. You yeah. can just tell them like, okay, well, you know, I appreciate the offer, but this isn't going to work for me. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, that's That's the best possible situation for you to be in. Don't wait until you're unemployed. So, um, yeah. And I know like, Depending on your specialty, it can take time to find the right job. I know, especially in our economy right now and with COVID and, and everything, if you are a highly specialized individual, you probably will have a little more trouble than somebody who's, you know, more generic or, or doesn't, you know, um, I'm sorry, Aaron, but if you're a Ruby dev, probably a little harder to hunt something down than if you're a React I, dev. I'm just going to say that. I actually had, when I got laid off from COVID in March, um, within a week and a half, I had four interviews and two offers lined up. So I, but I was surprised. I, I didn't think it would be that quickly, especially with everyone, so many people getting laid off at that time. Um, there's work out there. there. There's work out there. You may have to look, like I say, yeah, it, it won't mm -hmm. necessarily be easy. I don't want to imply that it will be easy. I just want to imply that you are in a relatively good space. Mm-hmm. Overall, you know, relatively speaking, this is you are in a favorable situation to help yourself if you need that. Yeah. Or more importantly, like if, if you're at a job that's shitty and it's making your life hell and you don't like it and you're unhappy and you're exhausted all the time, then maybe consider like putting yourself first and finding new work. Yeah. 
you don't you don't owe your employer they you know you don't have a unless you literally have a contract with them you don't owe them anything you don't have to stay there you're allowed to look elsewhere yeah go fishing see if something nibbles and to that point i want to end with a a message to leaders managers to bosses to businesses mm-hmm. first and foremost especially right now like in this environment covid working from home a lot for a lot of people Make sure you put your employees in control. One of the reasons people get burnt out is because of the outside forces. We quoted earlier, you know, when when timelines are shifting, when they don't know when work is coming, when priorities change on them, um, you know, when people aren't in control, that's where stress starts generating. Let them adjust their hours. If they would rather work 10 to 6, let them work 10 to 6. That's not going to impact you. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, let them have that ability to time shift. I've heard a lot of employers do a thing where they say, this is the time of day when you have to be available for meetings. Other than that, you're allowed to shift your day however you need to. Yeah. Give give your employees a sense of ownership over their work, their working environment. Um, there's an article from VMware over at CMS Wire about some of the stuff they have done. Um, and some of the advice they have for helping employees during this time. Um, it's pretty short read. It's a good read. Go check that out. Um, one thing, and I, again, I do have to, um, I'm really lucky to have the environment to work in. I do. Um, and some of this comes from my personal experience, which is things like give employees time for personal projects, not mm. necessarily like non-work related personal projects, but let them say, and this is uh, this goes back to control too. Yeah. Say, you know, and is it Google that does like the twenty percent time? Um, yeah. Or ten percent yeah. time, whatever it is. Like we have twenty percent time, I think is what it is. Yeah. Um, that we say, you know, twenty percent of your workday can be committed to working on something that is work related, but isn't on the board or isn't a ticket. Right. You know, you can pick something you think would be valuable and go research it, go build it, go try it, and. Yeah go like do all the things that we've been talking about like it gives you a chance to learn it gives you a chance to try something new to push your own boundaries and experiences so that you're not Mm -hmm. doing the same thing um and the the phrase that i've read is it lets you get to what they call a state of play it Mm -hmm. makes your work feel like play and how did so many of us learn to be developers yeah by playing by getting a computer as a kid and deciding we wanted to see what we could do with it. It was fun because it was play for us. And we discovered we could make money playing. And so we got excited <laughs> about that. And when we lose that feeling, that excitement of play, and it just becomes redundant, you know, repetitive crap, that's when we start getting towards that red line. So find ways to give employees a state of play. Don't make them commit every second of their day to just check in tickets off a board. Um, that's how you get rid of them. Um, yeah. Individually, like those, those are two things that are sort of like organizational in nature. You know, how are you going to give employees control? How are you going to let them organize their time? As an individual, if you are in charge of people, learn how to listen. And I mean that both actively and passively. When you're in meetings with people, there are 
keywords people will say and ways people will say things that will give you an indication that maybe they're not doing so well. The frustration in their voice, the attitude they have, the word choice they may have, it will be different for everybody. But there are signals that come out in some of that. I think that also you should, um, if you're in the position to do this and you have a large enough staff for it to be worthwhile, uh, I've I've worked at places where they did anonymous surveys um, that were actually anonymous. And those those are, I think, helpful because I think it's important to understand that even if you are the coolest manager ever and you're super approachable, employees are going to bring in their own baggage about previous work experiences and they may not necessarily trust management or feel comfortable approaching with grievances. So you should give, give, have a way to take the pulse of your workforce. Uh, but, but recognize that not everyone is going to approach you. So like, if you're just saying, I'm not hearing any complaints, so I guess everyone's fine. Doesn't actually follow. Right. And it's hard to listen. Like I, I say that as if, you just need to learn how to listen to your employees. <laughs> Some people don't have good listening skills or don't have mm-hmm. good people skills, and that's a hard thing to learn. And that's okay. What's not okay is if you don't have those skills and you don't acknowledge it, and you <laughs> don't get somebody in the mix who can. You can always say, you know what, I am not going to be good at helping you with your problem necessarily, Here's Susie over in HR, you know, here's here's Bob's email. Go give him a shout and let him know what you're having trouble with and they can help set something up for you. Bring somebody in who is capable of handling those kind of complaints or those kinds of concerns. We have bi-weekly one-on-ones with our manager um at at work and nothing's off limits. Like we can talk about whatever we need to and I'm, again, I'm lucky I have a manager who is very receptive to anything at all that you want to say whether that's frustration, successes, anything. And if you are complaining about something that is taken seriously and we try to figure out a way to, you know, address that. Um, I say all this, I've mentioned how I feel like I'm very lucky to have some of the resources I have. I still burnt out this year. Like Mm -hmm. this stuff helps. It's not a cure all. It's not a panacea for any of it. Like it, it just helps. Um, and if you have access to this stuff and you're still having trouble, that's okay too. Um, but that listening piece is, it's a tough one, but you need to know if your workforce is having trouble one way or another. Um, and sometimes people get elevated to managerial positions without those skills. Um, and the best thing I can say is if you are an employee and you realize, man, I'm not comfortable talking to this person about this stuff. Like they aren't listening to me. They aren't, they don't care. Then say that part. Just say, Hey, I want to talk to somebody about some stuff that's going on. Who can I go to about that? Go to your mm-hmm. HR or go to another employee. Um, you don't have to go to your boss sometimes with that. But if as a boss or a manager leader, if people are not comfortable coming to you with issues they are having with their work, you need to address that. Like that's a, that is your problem and you are creating a work environment that only increases the struggles people have with carrying capacity. I, I would be careful approaching HR. Um, do remember that they are there to protect the company, not the employee. True. Um, they, they are kind of like your liaison with the company, but they're not there for your benefit, even though they may say they are, 
they're ultimately if it comes down to it they will protect the company yeah, and if they think that fair. yeah I, I will say that if you have if you recognize actual problems with your with your workload and other things, you should absolutely raise them to your supervisor and maybe see if you can negotiate some kind of remedy for that. Um, and if it if you raise those issues and they're unwilling to address them, then start looking. I mean, you can't you can't make them change. You can't strong arm them into changing. And. Uh, but you know, you can, you can choose where you work as we mentioned earlier. Um, and change can take time. That's something else to yeah. emphasize. Like just because you raise an issue doesn't mean it can be fixed tomorrow. Um, and a lot of times it doesn't have to be. Sometimes change can take a while. Um, especially if it's something more systemic with the business. Um, and what I find is a lot of the time, just knowing that the issue has been raised and is being talked about is sometimes enough to actually turn that dial back a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need the problem solved as much as you need to get it out of your own body. <laughs> you know, yeah, you right. need to get the words out of your mouth. And I would also encourage folks to not be afraid to bring those things up. You may think that a manager isn't receptive or doesn't want to talk about something. And I would say more often than not, they probably are more receptive than you think they are. Not to say they always will be, and it's not to say that, you know, they'll, that they will definitely care or things like that. It's just a case of we tend to think things are worse than they are. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from this idea, like I say, a lot of folks aren't real good at that listening piece, but they do still hear you. Um, and even though they don't listen well or they don't necessarily know how to take that immediately that doesn't mean they are against you and that doesn't mean they will fight you on it um it just means they don't have great interpersonal skills um and you may not have great interpersonal skills that's also a reality that's fine um and if you ever have questions about that kind of stuff feel free to come ask i will be Hmm. more than happy to give advice on how to approach a situation and how to tackle a problem you're having there there are resources out there like that for for you to get some assistance if you need from somebody who isn't you know in your sphere. Um, the last thing I'm going to tell the folks out there who are in charge, you need to, on behalf of your workers, challenge work that isn't strategic, challenge work that doesn't bring value to your company, and challenge work that is setting people up for failure. There, you will always have stakeholders in your organization who will ask for things. That shouldn't be done. They will ask for things that aren't properly resourced. And they, you know, they will ask you to land a person on the moon, but we're not going to give you the money to build a rocket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just eat them into the sky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let them crash. Uh, you have to be a voice for those workers because the people building the stuff know that this is a bad idea. And this gets back to all of those things. We're not building things that we see value in. We're not building things that we get value in. We're not building things that challenge us in the right ways. As somebody who is a project manager or, you know, a, uh, any kind of liaison or anything with C-level people or marketing people, you need to have a voice to push back on those things and not just be a yes man, not build the things because somebody who makes more money than you 
said you have to build it. Mm-hmm. There has to be that challenge. There has to be that moment of saying, you know what? That's a good idea. I really like where you're going with it. But for us to do it right, here are the things we need to do. And we can't just build it because it'll break. It'll fail. It'll, you know, these are the consequences. If you don't know them, ask your developers and designers what those challenges will be because they definitely know. Mm-hmm. Either you're not collecting the data right or you're not modeling it in a way that's going to scale or you're not going to be reviewing the tool frequently enough to catch problems. Like there are, there's a list of things that these folks will know. And so make sure you challenge that. Don't, don't bring work to them that lacks value. We quoted that earlier from one of the other articles that that's one of those problems. Like not seeing value in the work you're doing is one of those demoralizing kind of aspects. What, uh, speaking of learning new things and getting involved in stuff, what do you got going on tomorrow? Uh, excitement, fun things. What's tomorrow? You know what you need to do? Huh. You need to go to drunkenux.com slash graph data. Get yourself <laughs> a free ticket to the live at Manning graph data science conference. And here I was thinking you're literally asking me what I was doing tomorrow. No, no, no. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the metaphor well tomorrow, the, the temporal tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Um, the Graph Data Science Conference is February 16th from noon to 5 Eastern Standard. It is being live streamed on Twitch, and it is free. They're going to have a bunch of data scientists lined up. They're going to be talking about everything cutting edge as far as any kind of graph data technique that comes along. You know, when it comes to predictions, explaining outcomes... They have uh, like 10 or 11 different people lined up to talk over the afternoon um, about all these things. So if you're a data nerd, if you love analytics, if you love like, you know, big data, when we say big data, um, semantic knowledge graphs, um, neural network thinking, things like this, go check this out. It's a free conference. It's a great way to spend your afternoon. Take some time off. If you're feeling a little burnt out, this is a great kind of distraction from the day to go listen to something new. So run by drunkenux.com slash graph data. That'll drop you on their page. Get yourself a free ticket and uh, make sure you've got access to Twitch. And check that out. And be sure to also check out our social presence, facebooks.com and twitters.com slash drunkenux and instagrams.com slash podcast and drunkenux.com slash discord to talk with us about stuff. I like how we've done that a million times, but you always have this like little subtle hint of uh, like unassurity about what you're saying there. Like you're not sure that you're saying the right. Uh, <laughs> I have to remember accounts. the names of the sites, even though I use them all the time. I have to remember the names anyways, and I have to remember which one has the weird name that we couldn't get. I don't think that's a sign of burnout. Speaking of burnout, though, oh, it's um, not burnout. It's just my I'm, brain. I am almost out of firewood. I have. I need to go haul in a, a fresh load, and I am like down to my last, uh, last arm loads that are coming in. And um, yeah, I, I hope my house stays nice and warm because I don't. I've not been in this house where it's gotten down to negative fifteen. So we'll have to just see how how that goes. Um, the there's a, a new technique though I have for keeping warm. Um, so. Uh, after the last year that I've had and, and Christmas and everything, I learned that um, the best possible way to keep warm is mm-hmm. to go grab yourself a great big bank blanket 
um, an electric blanket if you have one. And uh, while you're laying there, you keep your personas close, but your users closer. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. <laughs>